Welcome. It is uh, 10.07. Glad to have you with us. Uh, coming up uh, shortly, we'll chat with uh, Ron Calzone. Missouri doctor faces $500 billion in a federal trade commission fine or fines for promoting vitamin D3 during the pandemic. But wait, there's more. COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act of uh, the 2021 Consolidated Appropriations Act. And if you don't know what that is, we're going to find out. Ron Calzone is going to be with us. But right now, Dr. Susan Pendergrass on board, Director of Research and Education, uh, Education Policy at the Show Me Institute, uh, redirect our focus to the pre-filing of bills that begins in, the, in, a, in a couple of weeks. Susan, welcome. Glad to have you with us. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, the pre-filing what what uh, what do you mean by uh, refocus? Sure. So uh, once Thanksgiving behind us, the legislature in Missouri, uh, the folks in the legislature can begin to December first start pre-filing bills, which means that you know when they show up in mid-January, there's already a whole bunch of bills that have been filed that they can review, and it does give you sort of a, a hint where they're headed for this legislative session. And um, the Senate, in fact, they take their bills in order of pre-filing, so there's kind of an incentive to get things in there. And of course, to show me it's due, we put together a legislative blueprint for what we'd like to see folks doing. But we'll, we will get some idea in December before the session even starts, and that's what we're following. Well, you say that there are a lot of, uh, uh, well, there is a lot of unfinished business when it comes to yeah. education reform. Uh, mm -hmm. let's explore that. Yeah, so I guess one of my biggest complaints has been that sometimes these bills get filed and the, the laws even get passed, and then in the next few years we have to go back and kind of clean them up. I think we've talked about this last year. They cleaned up how charter school students are funded. A couple years ago they sort of cleaned up how you can uh, access virtual schools. They had to clean it up again last year. And then they did pass a, a scholarship program, which is great, but it's very, very small. So a lot of what we're looking for, what I would love to see is for them to pre-file really great bills and have those turned into law. But you know yeah. how things work in the sausage factory, you know? Yeah. Compromises are made and you end up with a kind of okay version of it, but... Um, so I look at the pre-file bills, and well, yeah, that's great. But then by the time the governor, it ever hits the governor's desk, maybe not so good. So there are a few things that need to be kind of fixed. But then the one thing that I'm really hoping the legislature goes after this year is letting uh, parents, is some sort of an open enrollment bill, whereby parents can send their um, children to schools outside their home district. Now, a lot of parents already do that in Missouri. I know for a fact that last year, or 2021, parents spent 1.6 million of their own money, their own dollars, to send their kids to schools in other districts. But, you know, a whole lot of states, more than half of states, it's mandatory for other districts to take kids and to let kids leave to go to other districts. And it's really a policy that Missouri is a little bit late on, and we need to make sure that Missouri families, especially rural families, this is a really popular thing with rural families where your one high school, even though you love it, might not have, you know, a STEM program or a fine arts program or whatever that is, or AP classes. And a lot of kids may even live closer to a high school that's in technically another district. So I, I'm really hoping, uh, I do think that these bills have been filed the last couple of years, and I do think that, that uh, there's going to be some movement on that. 
Um, also, you know, a lot of Missouri school districts are going to four-day school weeks. And I've had people reach out to me and say, what am I going to do? I live in this district. They decided to go four days. I actually work five days. So what am I supposed to do on that fifth day? And in that case, this is a perfect example of where a parent might want to send their child to a school that's maybe closer to where they work that still has a five-day school week. It also came up with the masking and the vaccines and some curriculum issues where, you know, there's a lot of parents that would like to be able to easily switch their children into a public school in a different district. So that's one thing I'm really hoping to see. Well, is that kind of a version of let the dollar follow the scholar? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's something that parents really like when you poll, you know, there's a lot of polling data, so people really want money to follow the student. And I don't know, Arizona just did this massive bill last year, um, the, the outgoing governor. I'm kind of curious to see what happens with the incoming governor, but every student in the state of Arizona can take $7,000 in their state funding to the school of their choice. It can be private, religious, public, charter, whatever. So. I'm not talking that. I'm just saying, like, letting the money from the state, instead of going to your home school district, it would go to a district of your choice. One of the things that I find uh, offensive, uh, and it's something you, you mentioned a few minutes ago, is they're going to a four-day work week. What am I going to do? As though the school is actually a babysitter. We're sending them yep. to a five-day class because we need a babysitter. And that's not the point of school. Sure, but what if you think that your child shouldn't get a three-day weekend every every week? I'm not sure that that would have been a good learning environment for my child to have four days on and three days off. Like I, I just think they should go every day. So, so the four-day, yeah, the four-day school week doesn't work for a lot of family schedules. But it also a lot of people would say, does my child need a three-day weekend every week? Uh, that's aren't they going to have to keep catching up then every time they go back on Monday? Well. I don't know. That's See, that's why I don't like government schools. If you had a private marketplace only, you'd have all kinds of options. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, with the government running it, everybody's addicted. Everybody expects that they will babysit their kids for five days. And I would argue yeah, hopefully, yeah. mm -hmm. that, that some of the stuff they're cramming into those kids on the, on the fifth day, you don't want your kids exposed to. Uh, well, there right. is that. But yeah, that's why I think just choice is the way to go. Yeah, I think choice is, too. I think that the dollar follow the scholar. Let let these parents decide exactly where they want their kids to go. But I don't I don't see the uh, the legislature going that far. Uh, but do you actually think they will at least go as far as you had suggested? I think so. I mean, it's hard to know. I I would be the last person to predict that what's going to happen in Jefferson City because so many years I'm like, this is absolutely going to happen. And we get to the end. And it doesn't happen. Or vice versa with the scholarship program. It's, it's really hard to predict down towards the end. But, you know, last year they did not pass very many bills at all. And what I really hope is that the legislature goes this year and gets really busy and does a lot of work for the uh, people of Missouri. Because, you know, hundreds and actually thousands of bills get filed and they ended up passing, you know, double digits, like a couple dozen bills last year. And that, they have six months down there. Let's get some stuff done, right? And and let's um, or stick to the things that are really important. So, yeah, I, I think there's a chance, but I'm always optimistic. I always think there's a chance. We'll certainly at show me to be watching carefully. We'll watch them get pre-filed and, we, you know, we watch the committee hearings if we can get testimony. But 
I do think that legislators are listening to parents a little bit more. You know, there's been a couple of elector elections, like the governor of Virginia, that have reminded folks that parents vote. And I do think that um, they're starting to listen to parents a little bit more, which is a good thing. Parents have gotten, their voices have gotten a little bit louder since the pandemic, which I think is a great thing. So I hope that Missouri legislature just listens to Missouri parents because they want this. Have you paid attention to the school board uh, elections in this last session? And did you see any, you know, any uh, major shift in, uh, in those school board elections? Yeah, I paid a little bit of attention. We certainly didn't see the big uh, wave that we thought we might. There were some gains made. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I think it would be really helpful in Missouri's case to move school board elections so that they are all on cycle and it's a little bit easier to get people to vote when they're voting for other things. A lot of our elections still happen for school boards like in April. So, um I, I talk to people anecdotally in different school districts in Missouri who have put together parent groups, they've put together PACs, they're really energized around changing the composition of their school boards. They're working hard at it, and I think that they will be successful in some cases. So, um, you know, parents are not just uh, being told what will happen to, to their kids now. They're taking a stand, which I think is great. So I do think you're seeing more activism, and I think that um, if people... You know, the teacher vote has always been a really important vote to get. And I would love to see legislators go after the parent vote as much as the teacher vote, especially in our small communities in Missouri, where the teachers have a ton of power because that's an important vote to get if you want to get elected. So I'd like to see some of that power shifted to parents because it really it is a partnership. I mean, the children belong to their parents first and that the schools are supposed to partner with them, not take their children from them. You know, so I'd like to see the legislature listening to what parents want. That would be good. Dr. Susan Pendergrass, Director of Research and Education Policy at the Show Me Institute. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks so much. All take right, care. take care. Uh, 800-529-5572 or 874-9390. Both of those numbers will get you into the studio. You can also send me an email, uh, and it, too, will pop up in the studio. Uh, we talked about battery-powered cars, and John Stossel had written a piece. We've got a follow-up. That's next on Think Tank Thursday. 1021, glad to have you with us on a Think Tank Thursday. Uh, coming up, we're going to find out about COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act of the 2021 Consolidated Appropriations Act. Uh, and also uh, the story of a Missouri doctor who faces $500 billion uh, it, it, in a fine uh, from the FTC for, for promoting vitamin D3 during the pandemic. Ron Calzone will be on board. Uh, we play John Stossel's uh, Inconvenient Facts about electric cars. This is part two. And this, this is just it's such an outrageous push, these battery-powered cars. And these are reasons why I despise the idea of banning the internal combustion engine. This just is not the replacement be electric? Well, here are some inconvenient facts you probably don't know. This is part two of our series on electric cars. We keep hearing the future of the auto industry is electric, electric and battery technology, battery technology. That's key because we need to store the electric power. But storing large amounts of energy in batteries has a problem. Batteries are really lousy at storing energy. They 
leak energy constantly. They leak and they don't hold a lot. Physicist Mark Mills says electric cars are great, but... Oil begins with a huge advantage over the chemicals that are in a battery. Oil has about 5,000% more energy in it per pound. And we see this in electric cars. Electric cars' battery weighs 1,000 pounds. It's what the battery weighs. It's replacing about 80 pounds of gasoline. All right, you're talking today, but the batteries are going to get smaller and better. They've gotten way more powerful, long-lasting, and affordable. All of this is just a prologue to what the next batteries are going to do. I can't wait. Will they be something like the one Iron Man has? Yeah, I can fly. Iron Man with the, uh, the power pack that he puts in his chest or the Terminator. Could happen. Things improve. Engineers are really good at making things better, but they can't make them better than the laws of physics permit. That will never happen in any place except comic books. That's inconvenient fact four. Miracle batteries, powerful enough to replace fossil fuels, are a fantasy. Because nature is not nice to humans, we store energy for when it's going to be really cold or really hot. The people who imagine an energy transition would want to build windmills and solar panels and store all that energy in batteries. But you do the arithmetic and you find out you need to build about $100 trillion worth of batteries to store the same amount of energy that Europe has in storage now for this winter. And it would take the world's battery factories about 400 years to manufacture that many batteries. 400 years? Politicians don't mention that. That leads to another problem the politicians don't mention. They say every car will be electric. California will require all new cars sold to be zero emission vehicles. If that were somehow to happen. That means a lot more electric vehicles drawing power from the grid. But the grid is already limited. So limited that last summer, California's governor told people, don't use your electric car. Asking residents to avoid charging their EVs in order to conserve energy. Roughly speaking, you have to uh, double your electric grid to move the energy out of gasoline into the electric sector. No one is planning to double the electric grid in California, so there'll be rationing. Rationing. When there isn't enough electricity, cities will simply turn some of the power off. That's inconvenient fact five. We just don't have enough electricity for all electric cars. And we'll have even less of it if we try to get all our electricity from renewable energy like wind and solar. Our president says... We're going to achieve a carbon pollution-free electric sector by the year 2035. And gullible media believe it. Power plants that emit greenhouse gases will go the way of... Yeah, the dinosaur. How much of America would we have to cover with solar panels and wind turbines to begin to do this? Well, this is one of these areas that we have really precise knowledge. If you covered the entire continent of the United States with solar panels, you wouldn't supply half of America's electricity. This is just math and physics. It's amazing that all these smart people and supposed leaders say these things. It's upsetting. It really has been an extraordinary accomplishment of propaganda, and there's no other word for it. Oil and gas is going to take everything we know and love. Wind and solar, renewable versus oil and gas, it's, it's almost infantile. It's really, it, it's distressing because it's so silly.
Because even if engineers invent much better wind turbines and solar panels and power lines and batteries, you're still drilling things, you're still digging up stuff, you're still building machines that wear out, we're still driving big trucks, whether you drill a gas well or build a wind turbine. It's, it's all the same, really. It's just big machines to make lots of energy for humanity. It's not magical transformation. In many respects, the parts that aren't different are worse, unfortunately. The politicians are making us pay more to do things that hurt the environment. Europe going back to coal. Burning coal in homes and open stoves because they're so afraid they're going to freeze this winter. People fearful of winter shortages wait for days and nights to stock up on heating fuel. Lines going for miles in Poland. These are people picking up coal to take home to be sure they won't freeze this winter. This is crazy. So what we've done now is had our energy systems designed by bureaucrats instead of by engineers. And what we're getting is worse energy, more expensive energy, and higher environmental impacts. That's what we're doing. As for electric cars, I like them. Maybe I'll buy one. But I won't pretend it'll make me some kind of environmental hero. There'll be lots more electric cars in the future, and there should be, because that'll reduce demand for oil, which is a good thing. But when you do the math, the arithmetic on the scales of demand to operate a society with billions of people, with five or six billion people who are live in poverty, we can't imagine. When you want to give them a little bit of what we have, the energy demands are off the charts big. We're going to need everything. Everything includes fossil fuel. Yeah. Wow. So it's not possible. The laws of physics, it's not possible. You can't produce the energy from windmills and solar panels you know, at one point, he's, he's saying you could cover the entire continent with solar panels, and you wouldn't be able to generate but half the electricity that we need. Uh, and these people are convinced somehow that this is the way to go. It's not. And, and anybody who wants to take a long trip in an automobile is going to find that you're spending hours charging your battery when it would take minutes to fill your tank it's just a bad idea and it isn't going to work i promise you at some point every auto manufacturer out there is going to say you know we got to keep making these internal combustion engines the government needs to get out of this at every level because it's costing you literally billions and billions of dollars. One of the reasons that Colombia has such high utility rates is because of all this green energy crap. They're killing you. Oh, if you use just a little bit less, you get a lower tier. But if you use enough to be comfortable, well, then your, your electric bill is going to go through the roof. Or your 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 uh, gas bill, whatever they can, whatever they can control, they control, and drive the prices up. And all this for what? You know what? You could Columbia, Missouri, could stop using carbon fuels completely, and it would have absolutely zero effect on the temperature. You're just spending money, throwing money away. 
All right, let's find out about this Missouri doctor. $500 billion. Uh, that's quite a fine. We'll see what he did. Ron Calzone is next on Think Tank Thursday. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It is 1035. It's Think Tank Thursday. And that gives me Ron Calzone. MoFirst.org. Uh, Ron, uh, welcome. Glad to have you with us. I am dying of curiosity here because uh, you have sent me a couple of uh, tantalizing pieces uh, of information. The first one I want to get to is uh, this Missouri doctor uh, and the $500 billion uh, fine. It's quite a fine. Uh, what the hell did he do? Oh, he, he committed the terrible crime of telling people that the best way to defend themselves against COVID-19 is to stay healthy and to keep their immune system healthy and that using vitamin D and zinc and things like that will help you stay healthy and keep your immune system healthy. I thought we'd already concluded that that is, in fact, uh, you know, vitamin D and zinc were, in fact, uh, important uh, for fighting off the uh, China flu. I, I think that's been um, common knowledge for generations, maybe, perhaps, and not just the, the China flu, but any kind of illness. So what did he do that was, I don't, I don't understand what he did. He just well, said he, take and, vitamin D and, and zinc, and they, and they said you can't do that? Now, now to be fair, the, the Federal Trade Commission is bringing this action against him. The Federal Trade Commission is bringing this action against him, and they're alleging that uh, besides making those claims, he also said that he thinks that it's more effective than the vaccine at keeping you from getting COVID-19. So he offered up his opinion. Uh, to As a take, medical professional. To take these uh, supplements, which anybody could take if they chose to on their own, right? I mean, these are not prescriptions? Certainly they could. And I think that, it, that if you dug a little bit into the CDC's website, you would probably see the CDC recommending vitamin D and zinc, you know, maybe before the vaccine came out, you know, or maybe after the vaccine was proven not to, you know, and they had to admit that it doesn't keep you from getting COVID. If you remember, you know, so we have such short memories. At first, it, people thought at least that the COVID-19 vaccine was going to keep you from getting COVID when it became, uh, you know, incredibly apparent to anybody observing that it didn't keep people from getting COVID-19. They said, well, it's going to keep you from getting as severe uh, an illness from COVID-19, maybe keep you out of the hospital. You know, so they altered their claims, you know, or, you know, maybe they, you know, maybe it was just a public perception of their claims. But, um, you know, he, he was saying that this is better at keeping you from getting COVID-19. He also said it was good if you're going to treat COVID-19. But, how, how can they say that um, anything that someone claims is better at keeping you from getting COVID-19 than the vaccine when they had to finally admit that the vaccine isn't even intended to keep you from getting COVID-19, just to lessen the severity of it once you get it? Does this that make any sense? <laughs> this is insane. Despite numerous settlement and arbitration offers... Uh, apparently, this doctor has rejected any out-of-court resolution and is confident that his case is strong enough to stand trial. The only reason they're going after me, and they say so, they said so, is because I'm the first doctor they sued and they want to set a precedent. 
They said they wouldn't stop until they had blood on their sword. It's literally from the mouth of the FTC. That's that's exactly what's happening. So Dr. Eric Neptune is the uh, the guy in question, and he has a pretty strong internet presence, and I think that's part of the problem. You know, he was he was uh, a contra message to the message that was coming from Fauci and the federal government and the health care industrial complex. And, you know, they, they didn't like competition for information. And they're, they're breaking this guy. He spent three and a half million dollars defending himself. I mean, this is insane. It, it's absolutely incredible. And so really, I, I don't have two topics today. The second, the second piece I sent you is really part of the same topic. This is all part of the cancel culture. So this is, you know, he has an alternative narrative, or had an alternative, still does, I'm sure. In fact, I'm sure that this guy has, is really just singing the same song that he's been singing his whole career. And, you know, he, he, has, uh, he, he, ha he has a wholeness health-type practice, you know, where he looks at the, you know, your overall wellness, not just treating a symptom here or there. And, you know, that's not what the healthcare industrial complex and big pharma likes to do. And, you know, so they're trying to shut him down. Now, he's now admittedly, Dr. Neptude is, uh, you know, he's he's not been a mainstream sort of guy for a long time. On the other hand, the other piece I sent you is about Dr. Peter McCullough. Dr. Peter McCullough is one of the most widely published and respected cardiologists in the world, has been very mainstream for a long, long, long time. And is you know is, is the member of a lot of boards and or has was the member of a lot of boards and and you know a sought after speaker at medical schools and medical conferences and highly esteemed by his colleagues until he came out and questioned some of the narrative that was coming from the CDC and from Fauci and from the other uh, healthcare industrial complex sources he he testified under sworn testimony before the Texas State Senate, and I think Congress as well, and he said that he didn't think that the COVID threat was serious or serious enough to warrant the kind of response that we're seeing. And he cited CDC data. He cited the CDC data that said that if you're you know, 50 or 60 and younger, the threat of dying from COVID-19 is you know, like 0.01%. I've forgotten exact numbers, but well under 1%. And I remember those stats pretty early in the process. And, and he said he didn't think that that was a serious threat. And the CDC, or no, I'm sorry, it's not the CDC, but it's the, it's, uh, you know, other federal accrediting agencies uh, took him to task for that. And they, they interpreted that percentage that's on the CDC website as being serious. And so... He's being shut down. He's, he has uh, the potential to lose his board certification for the two disciplines that he's, uh, he's been certified in. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it can it potentially kills his career. And this guy's been totally mainstream. And, and he is in the upper echelon of all of our medical professionals, certainly cardiologists, in the whole world. And they're going after him. So all of this should be, uh, you know, a warning to all of us that there's this effort to diminish the number of options that we have for healthcare. Diminish the 
information sources available to us, diminish the treatment sources that are available to us, and then we end up with a one-size-fits-all. You know, remember when Obamacare came out, we were concerned about one-size-fits-all medicine? We'll end up with a one-size-fits-all medicine that has to tow uh, the mainstream healthcare industrial complex narrative. How bizarre uh, th- that we have given up so much power and given it to the state and that we would let them destroy these people. Look, if you don't want to believe them, don't believe them. If you think that uh, vitamin D and zinc are not uh, going to be helpful, then go get the shot or whatever it is that floats your boat. But the fact that we're destroying these people. Uh, and, and if you think and if you and if you don't agree with the assessment of these medical professionals, you know, health, health and medicine is an art much, much more than it's a science. You know, I know there's science elements to healthcare, but it's still an art. And that's why you see a diversity of opinions about how to treat things. And that's why they can't do things like stop or cure cancer. You know, after all of these decades of spending billions and billions of dollars on it, it's because there's, you know, every case is unique. And it takes, an, it takes art, it takes a, a touch, a human touch, not a computer, to, to figure all this stuff out. And so that means that you have to have latitude for differing opinions about how to deal with things. And they don't want to do that. So the other thing that I wanted to mention is, is that they're going after this guy based on the COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act that was part of the 2021 Consolidated Appropriations Act. And so under the auspices of protecting consumers, they want to squelch information available to consumers by guys like Dr. Neptune. Crazy. Uh, Here's the downside to all this, Ron. Uh, And if you just turn the radio on, Ron Calzone is with us, uh, MoFirst.org. Is that unless there is a sea change in who we elect, this doesn't go away. Republicans aren't going to fix it. You could load up the entire House and, and Senate and White House with nothing but Republicans, and they won't fix it. Well, I, I think I've got a slightly different take on that. You know, I, I know very little about Congress and how Washington, D.C. works, but after two and a half decades, I know quite a bit how Jefferson City works. And, and your state rep and your state senator can be amazingly responsive to pressure that's put on by the public. If they don't think you're watching or they don't think you care, then they'll do their own thing. And quite frankly, the healthcare industrial complex, I keep calling it, has a tremendous stranglehold on what happens at the state capital in Missouri, and I imagine every state capital. But even more powerful than them are the voters and their neighbors that they have to face at the polling, uh, the polling booth and also at the coffee shop. And they need to hear from you. They, they need to be asked, what can be done to protect the St. Louis doctor? from these federal attacks. And by the way, uh, Missourians just gave a raise to our attorney general for doing that very thing. Our our Missourians just overwhelmingly uh, elected Eric Schmidt to go to the U.S. Senate because Eric Schmidt was defending Missourians against federal intrusion. And so you put pressure on your state rep, you call them weekly, 
and ask them, what are you doing about, you know, what's happening? What are you, are you, are you carrying the water for the healthcare industrial complex? Are you protecting parents' rights to decide healthcare decisions for their own children? You know, are you, are you using, are you, are you, for instance, trying to figure out how to use the anti-commandeering doctrine that we use with the Second Amendment Preservation Act to defend our other liberties against the Federal Trade Commission? And by the way, if you notice that, um, that the other, the second case, Dr. McCullough, uh, it's the Department of Homeland Security that's going after him. Good Lord. So these un- unlikely federal agencies are being weaponized against us and people that we might rely on or utilize, at least for information and services. And so what can be done by the state? I don't have those answers right now. You know, we kind of had the answers for federal gun control. But we don't have the answers for some of these other things, but I think there's a lot of smart people in spite of it all in the Capitol and Jeff City, and if enough people tell them they want to see these kind of protections, I'll bet you that some brainstorming will come up with some things. Well, it would be good if it does happen. Ron Calzone, MoFirst.org. Ron, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Gary. All right, glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show and for frustrating me with those stories. Jeez, that's insane. Dave Rowland is going to be with us. We've got a couple of hot cases here in Missouri, and uh, we will kick those around. That'll be at about uh, 11.15. You're listening to The Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. Imagine you're driving the kids home from an event somewhere, and one of the kids is just making every all the other kids crazy, just acting up. By the way, it is uh, 10, uh, it's 11, uh, 10, 11. I know I can get that out. 10, 11. 10, 53. 10, 53. I don't know what the hell's the matter with me You're this thinking. morning. Yes, I got it backwards. 10, uh, 53. Uh, all right, so you're, you're, you're bringing the kids home from some event, and one of the kids is just making all the other kids crazy. And so you're a, a little bit from home, maybe a half mile, and you're in a quiet suburb. And this kid won't shut up, and uh, finally you tell the kid, okay, you walk home from here. That ought to cool your jets. You wouldn't think you'd get in a lot of trouble for that. But apparently uh, a woman in uh, Texas uh, is in trouble for that. And this is Waco, Texas. Uh, We're not talking about, you know, Dallas or Houston. We're not talking St. Louis or Kansas City. We're talking Waco, Texas. She was arrested. She was handcuffed. She was thrown in jail. This could, I guess, happen to you. She was charged with endangering a child, which is a felony, and it has a minimum of two years in prison. She's finally able to speak out after completing a six-month pretrial diversion program to get the charges dropped, but her arrest remains on the books, easily searchable by employers, which is disastrous for someone with a bachelor's degree in education. Um, she agreed. This uh, kid agreed to walk home. After all, it was something he had done many times. There are sidewalks the entire way, practically zero traffic. But 15 minutes later, two cops knocked on uh, this uh, parent's door. Son in the patrol car. Another officer parked across the street. A woman one block away had called the cops to report a boy walking outside alone. The lady had actually 
asked this kid where he lived, verified that it was just down the street, and proceeded to call nonetheless. The cops picked up the kid on his own block. As they stood on her porch, the officers told her that her son could have been kidnapped and sex trafficked. You don't see much sex trafficking where you are, but uh, where I patrol in downtown Waco, we do, said one of the cops, according to Wallace. The statement struck her as odd. They were basically admitting that this is a safe neighborhood. The officer then asked this mother, Ms. Wallace, whether she would let her son walk home again now that she knew about the sex trafficking. I still didn't know it was illegal, and I said, I don't know. That's when the cops replied, okay, I'm going to have to arrest you. He proceeded to do so in front of the kids, handcuffing her behind her back. By this point, the cops had allowed Aiden to get out of their car and called Wallace's husband, who arrived at home. They then put Wallace in the cruiser. She didn't have her shoes on, but the cops told her the jail would provide a pair. It didn't. In the back seat, still handcuffed, Wallace was interviewed by a caseworker with Texas Child Protective Services. All in all, it was about a three. Uh, it was about three hours from the time the cops showed up at the, uh, to the time around eight thirty p.m. that they drove her to jail, where she was locked up. I'm a suburban mom. I didn't know what I was doing. I got booked at four o'clock in the morning. The next day, a husband paid $300 bail, and they went home. When Aiden heard his mom come in, he looked up panic-stricken. I ate your piece of cake, he confessed. I didn't know you were ever coming home. Child Services had the family agree to a safety plan, which meant Wallace and her husband could not be alone with their kids for even a second. Their mothers, the children's grandmothers, had to visit and trade off overnight stays in order to guarantee the parents were constantly supervised. After two weeks, child services closed Wallace's case, finding the complaint was unfounded. Wallace believes this could be due to the reasonable childhood independence law that Texas passed in 2021. The nonprofit uh, 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 helped make this happen. But can you imagine your kid has a Short half-mile walk to home? And the police arrest you for this? If you saw a kid, Brian, walking down the street, would you call the police? No. I mean, how, how, how old was this kid, kid again? Um, let me see if they give the actual age of the kid. We don't have a whole lot of time. But he, was I, a, he was in karate school, so I okay. don't... Uh, I mean, Both you and I walked to school, and it was at least a mile yep. for me. Yep, a little <laughs> over a mile for me. It's just incredible. It's changed, hasn't it? Sure has. Don't, uh, don't let your kids walk, but make sure they walk to get exercise. Just in the right place. Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show.